Hi and welcome to the Msingi Talks podcast, a podcast hosted by Msingi Trust. This podcast ventures deeper into issues of faith, advocacy, activism, and makes connections between these worlds. Psalms 89.14 states that justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. And here we unpack how the church as the body of Christ and institution can faithfully embody justice and righteousness in both word and deed. Karibuni and let's do justice. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of Msingi Talks uh, podcast, a podcast hosted by Msingi Trust. My name is Carol Nganga, the founder of Msingi Trust, where we make the connections between faith, social justice, and advocacy. Today is a very special uh, podcast recording because I am in conversation with my friends. And uh, these are friends who, yes, please, scream, shout, everything. <laughs> you can breathe, guys. I am in conversation with my friends, my sisters, and uh, I've come to know them well, uh, two of them well, from a training I did last year in Cape Town called Leadership in Urban Transformation. And I actually really don't know how I started to know Tandy. I think Tandy, I knew you from the Justice Conference, right? I think so, yeah. In 2017. But yeah. uh, the beauty of this very beautiful friends of mine is that we share so much in terms of our views of, on justice, on faith, on advocacy, on mm -hmm. arts. And I would, I can say so much about them, but I want them to introduce themselves. So, uh, drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll start with Sandy. Cool, thank you so much for having me. Um, yes, I also am super excited to be here and super excited for um, conversation with this amazing group of people. So I am Tandi Gamedze, um, living in Cape Town, South Africa. I work part-time at the warehouse, um, which is also, I guess, part of the way that I know you, Carol. Um, I'm also doing some postgraduate studies um, and doing some other research stuff and yeah, different things. But I also love talking about all things faith and justice. Um, I love poetry and the arts and creativity and laughing and music and all the good things. So yes, I'm excited to be here. Haribusana Tandi. All the good things. All, All the, the good, good things. things. <laughs> the <sit -line>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I must I must first also start by saying what an honor it is to be on the line with you, Carol, uh, Lucinda, and Tandy. Um, as I said before, these are the heavyweights. Um, <laughs> so so privileged to be on the line with you all. Um, so yeah, I'll just I guess uh, follow Tandy's format. Uh, my name is Cecilia Manzini. Um, originally from the Eastern Cape, a little village called Dukia there, um, and uh, now living in Cape Town for wow six years now. Um, yeah, and uh, I think, yeah, I know you, Carol, from, um, as you mentioned, uh, the Leadership and Urban Transformation course that we did last year, um, a heart-wrenching, beautiful journey just um, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking at cities and structures and really how to fuse faith-filled responses um, to all like the, the kind of like issues that we see in our world today um, where faith and justice intersect. Um, and likewise uh, with Lucinda. Um, and yeah, Tandy, I think it was, it was, how do we actually know each other? Because I feel like uh, we have so many mutual friends. Again, just being in like um, the, mm-hmm. the social, that like, the justice space, um, you know, in Cape Town. Um, I don't know whether that means that we're like a small cohort or not, and if, if that's a good thing or not. But anyway, like um, that's how that's how we've, we've kind of like known and, and been able to grow um, together. So that's um, a little bit about me. Um, yeah, I think I'll probably leave it there for now. Um, one. Nobody knows how they know Tandy. Tandy, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> She's just within. Me? I'm just that person who's everywhere. <laughs> and then, we were in a reading group together, though. We were, yes, of course. How could I forget? Yes, yeah, Sacrifice of Africa in Manuel Katungala. Come on, somebody. Girls who read. Girls who read. Girls who read. But, come on. Yes. And write. She writes. Yeah. I hope she mentioned that. She writes. Yeah. And so do you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we could do this forever, guys. Just constantly complimenting yes. each other. <laughs> yeah. So, Sophia, mm. please share about Anodomini, please. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. I've I've just been so honored um this year um to have like um. I guess, given birth to something that was on my heart for the last two mm-hmm. years. And just to quickly, you know, um, summarize what it is about, it's just basically an online platform, something of a, like a digital magazine um, where, yeah, just curating content around faith and justice, um, specifically in, in Africa from the African context. Um, I think we'll probably get to that a little bit later on around where that came from, but just, um, you know, I think for most of us, we, we have moments when we're kind of like in the wilderness, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, whether it's from... Um, <clears throat> From the institutional church or just in our faith um, and really wanting to find out what the Lord says about some of the things that we're contending with in our everyday world um, and so I was looking for those voices um, black voices uh, and Christian voices going to be who, will, who would be contending against these things but I wasn't finding that especially within the African context like if I did find that I'd find maybe like African Americans um, who have a same but different uh, story so um, it really just wanted to um, really highlight some of the voices from within our continent, um, such as, you know, the, the people that I was, I was now coming into contact with through the Justice Conference, the Warehouse. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like what Anna Domini is kind of all about and where it comes from. Yep, a heavyweight, and she's, she's <laughs> trying to not be a heavyweight. Lusanda is not a stranger to the Msingi family. She was part mm. of the Msingi Singi talks um, uh, live on Facebook, and she she got quite a huge fan base. Who there are people who are asking mm. one if you're married, two if you can come back. Yes, really, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I don't. I, I don't even think. Um, I I don't want to kill it by just repeating everything you said in terms of just how honored I feel firstly to be in the presence of black women that utterly just break my my brain, fill my heart and just make me so happy. I love you guys so much. So I think um, firstly, because I get to be in this thinking and, uh, and believing space with women like you, I feel that's what's made my faith journey um, deeper in the last two years. And I really, uh, and, I, and, I, and I will always say, this is probably gonna be, um, we have to make this merch, guys. How do we make merch out of it? How do we make merch? I'm discipled by a group of Black women. I hope nobody else has kind of 
like copyrighted that because I feel like that's going to be my tagline I'm discipled by a group of black women mm. and uh, yeah it's this woman in this in this uh, in this room right now my name is Lusanda Mashua I am uh, I am I was born in East London I live in Cape Town with my beautiful family I'm married to a stunning man Masata Mashua with our gorgeous three girls Maisha Amani and Rorisang at uh, age six, five, and three. And um, I work uh, for a ministry called RZIM and we do uh, apologetics. Uh, my particular passion is, um, is creativity, intersecting with justice work, intersecting with, uh, with theology. And I think since uh, we all, our, our paths collided firmly with Anduta and Cecilia at LUT, but I think I've known you guys uh, uh, like uh, you know, I'd, I'd say superficially in comparison to how 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 much I feel like I know you guys now, but I could know you more. Obviously, um, I known you guys a little bit before that. I met uh, Unduta at the Justice Conference, and I was basically just fangirling. And I can't believe I get to send you mm-hmm. voice notes now. And Cecilia, I did LUT with you, and um, and we just walked that journey together of unraveling and being put back together by Jesus. And Utandi, uh, Tandi and I, uh, we go back from our Every Nation days. Hey, come on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh wow. That's from cool. what days? What did you say? We used to Every go nation. To, to the to Every the, Nation. Yeah, it oh, was church. A okay. Day family of churches and I met Tandi because she was just radical girl um who just loved Jesus and um and I always I always you always ask deep questions you and uh is it is it is it Lena Lana Lana yeah you and Lana were Uh, like yeah Uh, yeah. you and Lana and I remember Lana used to play uh, those bongo drums and uh yeah I just appreciated Uh, I just appreciated also seeing creative thinking girls who also loved Jesus. And so that's what always stuck out with me about you. And so, yeah, that's who I am. Um, I, yeah, that's, I don't know if I could describe more. Oh, and I also work for uh, the Golis Foundation where I feel like a lot of my praxis work kind of gets expressed in terms of how we, uh, we influence the field of philanthropy to not just be, um, doing philanthropy but to do justice work and to kind of negotiate just ideas around how um, donors and um, and people that want to be stakeholders in some of these things also think differently about the legacies of their own of, of their own you know money giving entities so that they actually do justice work as well right and so it's kind of walking this long road with saying god how do we have a long view of how um funders see the impact of their own um, money-making thing and how they align with organizations that uh, will do justice work. Uh, well, that's just me, but I, I, and I'm not speaking that for the Kalisa Foundation, but I'm saying that's my, that's my vision in terms of why I wanted to align myself with this kind of foundation, because that's a conversation we're having internally. So it's an incredible journey. And uh, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, but Jesus is good and I'm trying my best. So yeah, that's me. <laughs> Yay. So this is just a, like an, a brief introduction into who this amazing women are and uh, I would say it again it's an honor to know you and to be known by you and for us to 
to share passions that mm. sometimes feel very unique to the spaces we find ourselves in because mm. um, I find that the intersection of faith and justice is, is so unique or peculiar that mm. it's very difficult to find people whom you share the same language. Yeah. And so, so it's an honor to know you and to be known by you. Mm. I want to explore, for us to explore a bit, what, where do you feel that this hunger for justice and faith, where, do you, where would you say it was born for you? Or like, what was that process that came to you to birth this? Um, can maybe start with Tandy. Mm. Um, sure. It's it's a hard question. I mean, so yeah, I'm just um, what you say about that. This is a peculiar space. This space that we're occupying, um, kind of in the intersection of faith and justice. It's like yeah, it really is, and sometimes it feels like a lonely space. Um, but as you were saying that, I just, again, I think was filled with like sadness that that's the way it is because, mm. I mean, we have this Jesus who so embodied this life of justice um, at every turn and in every meeting with injustice, he spoke out and he acted against it. And so it's like, it seems so... Yeah, it seems so messed up that it is, it's such a um, peculiar space and uncommon space. Um, and I think, yeah, it's been, it's been similar in my faith. Like my, I think, I think my faith has always embodied like compassion. Um, mm. And there's always been that thing of, of wanting to help people. And, um, and I think that's always been a part of me. Um, but I think, I think only in the past number of years has that, has my theology actually um, started to embody justice. And I think, I mean, I think that's been a gradual journey in different ways. I think being exposed to different people and different ideas um, along the way has gotten me along the journey. And then, and then I think being at the warehouse um, and being so deeply embedded within a community of people who are really trying to walk out um, what it looks like to embody the peace and justice of God for the world. I think, yeah, that has really, I think, concretized a lot of things inside of me. Um, and, and I guess maybe made my theology match my natural bent towards justice. Um, I, because I think that's that's something that's been um, in me my whole life. Um, I think, I mean, I think all of us are people that that naturally see injustice and are not okay with it. Um, but I yeah. think I think it's it's only in the last few years that that I've been able to find this theology um, that has actually been able to speak to that. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's such a process, and I find I find it hard to even say where it started, and 
and yeah, the ins and outs, but it's definitely a, a process and a journey that I'm still walking and um, yeah, still on. Before I go to the other people, do you have, because I feel like that's, that's me from the story about compassion, the story of always moved to writing a wrong. Do you, when you look at the text of scripture, do you, do you have a verse or a parable or a story that you can relate to, or you can say that this is a verse that stands out for me or is like a life quote-unquote life verse or is mm. is something yeah. that anchors you towards uh your pursuit for justice and uh lucinda and Cecilia, uh you could also be thinking about that because as you share your your story or your faith and justice origin uh origin that sounds right but you can also think of verses yeah so definitely and there's there's like there's three which have just come to mind but I'll, I'll share the I'll share the one that I think was um first first a really important part of my journey with scripture and with God um and that's Isaiah 58 and I think mm. a lot of people maybe a lot of people um feel the same about that chapter but mm. it's the chapter which mm. says um is this is this the fast that I have chosen? And it basically it basically speaks to um, the Israelites, and and God is saying, I'm actually not that concerned with you not eating food and and doing all these things that are supposedly spiritual. Um, the kind of fast that I want to see my people um, embody and act out is the kind of fast where you are feeding the people who need food where you are giving clothes to those who don't have clothes um, opening up your homes to people who don't have homes um, and then so it's it's i think it just kind of it just kind of shakes up the whole um our whole religiosity and our obsession with these um practices of faith and spirituality that we kind of get get so consumed with sometimes um, in the church and it just completely ruffles that up. And then I think what's so beautiful about that chapter is um, at the end, it kind of gives the promise of if, if you do this, then this, this is what it will look like. And it says, and then your light will break forth like the dawn or something. And just mm. um, starts painting this picture of just this beautiful, I think the sense that I get in that piece is is the same sense that I get in Genesis when God says that it was good and and that sense of good where there's good relationships between the earth and humans and creation and all things that just goodness between things um, and it's the same sense that I get is that promise in Isaiah 58 um, yeah so I think that's definitely been like a rooting rooting piece of scripture for me in this journey. Thank you, Tandy. And uh, for anyone listening as well, Tandy has done such beautiful poetry pieces. And uh, I think the, the introduction to the last justice conference when you, mm -hmm. when you 
spoke uh, did like a spoken word uh, rendition of Amos that was really beautiful thank you that's definitely another one of those um, scriptures Tandi I I love the scripture that you that you mentioned um, as I 58 um, and also me further down that that pastoral scripture where it talks about um, you know if, if you're able to, to do these things, you know, if you're able to um, fast, do a fast that actually um, loosens the chains of injustice, um, mm-hmm. then it says, you know, around verse, verse 11, 12, it says, um, um, if you, let me just actually just read it because I just opened it and I just absolutely love it. Um, you will be known as those who can fix anything, restore, I'm reading from the message version, restore mm-hmm. old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. Um, and that last part always gets me because I'm like, wow, actually, this is this is the plan and the purpose of the Lord. Um, ultimately, it's it's really to 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 make community and to make community livable, right? And when we're looking at the state of our cities um, and and of our communities, um, you know, who who's able to to really live, um, whose communities look livable and whose communities don't look livable. And I'm always so challenged by that um, because you know, <laughs> growing up in um, kind of like my spiritual tradition, I don't know whether to call it Pentecostal or evangelical, um, we love fasting, right? And we love being able to um, shut the door and, you know, just me, m- uh, my Bible and my Lord um, and pray and fast and for the things that we believe for. But um, it's very rare sometimes that we look outwardly um, and think about, um, yeah, the communities around us and, and making the community livable again, as, mm-hmm. as this passage says. So it's always one of the ones that I always think of. Um, and I think, uh, Carol, you'll also remember we, we um, reflected on Isaiah 65 um, last year um, at our LUT. And it's always, again, one of the ones that come to me in terms of scriptures that really um, push me in terms of like really understanding what does, what does justice look like um, actually? And, and what should we be um, striving towards really as we, as we believe um, in, in this kind of like um, king, new kingdom, um, this, this kingdom of heaven. Um, and really it's, it, it talks there about um, a new heaven, a heaven and, and in fact a place where um, the old, the old can live, uh, live out their days. It talks about um, a place where, you know, um, people are able to, to work and actually reap the fruits of their labor, um, you know, build houses and live in them, um, plant vineyards and, and eat of the fruit and, and that kind of thing where really people are able to, um, yeah, eat the fruits of their labor. And it's like, again, is that what we're seeing? Um, and what does that look like? And actually do we as believers believe it? Because then if we don't believe it, then we <laughs> will never really work towards it. Um, so it's stuff like that, that, that always challenges me in my faith because, um, yeah, it's very easy to get into this kind of like privatized bubble of like me, God and I, um, and that's all I need. And, and that's kind of like how I grew up um, in terms of just like approaching my faith. Um, and it's really in the last kind of like uh, two or three years um, that really I've started kind of like reflecting and obviously with the grace of God kind of, you know, being being able to be introduced to, to women like you um, who really, again, challenge me and kind of like, um, ask questions that really don't get asked often in terms of you know understanding your own positionality um based on what you believe in, in your faith but also um how you see the world um and and constantly being challenged in in how i i, I view faith and, and that intersection with justice as well um i think i'll i'll stop there well Cecilia, i think uh for the listeners you'll hear a lot of us talking about lut it's the leadership in urban transformation um, training that we went through. And for real, this is, this was life uh, transformational for, 
for most of us, for all of us. And Tandy just graduate. You finished this year, right? Yes, we actually yeah. just had our last week. Last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and so. Oh wow. Yeah. So it's it's so much of learning to see God in the city and the city in God and mm. and what that does. Man, I think we need a whole entire podcast episode de- describing yeah. what the city and God and yeah. all that, all, all, all those tears we have cried together in class. What <laughs> 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 all that means. So, Cecilia, um, in... In terms of your faith development, would you say there was, would you say there was a moment where justice and faith conversations came together, or what would you, where would you place that? Sorry, Carol, I'm gonna have to ask you to repeat that question, please, because <laughs> uh, it was kind of breaking off. Okay, would you say there's a point in, uh, in your like I know you've explained it, but would you, mm-hmm. is there like a particular episode or a particular year or a particular mm. event that brought together the the crystallization of faith and justice as two two things that are actually one mm. yeah it's a, it's very tough i think um tandy may have also mentioned this when she was speaking but it's very it's very tough to really look at a, a particular point because it really was i think for me a culmination of many things um i think one of the things that i can think of that really um kind of like set off that journey it's funny and i always look back at it as as being something hilarious because it wasn't even in a in a church setting or in a faith setting which may or may not come as a surprise for you guys <laughs> um but it was it was in my work setting and really working um in an office with um people who are really um, concerned about impact. Um, so I didn't mention this before, but I work for um, an organization or um, a, a business, a social enterprise that um, monitors working conditions in supply chains using technology. Um, and the company that we were working with um, or sharing an office with um, was an impact investing firm. And they um, basically invest in companies that really um, create services that uh, impact on, on the lives of the people we could call the quote unquote base of the pyramid. So people who, um, you know, they invest in companies like agriculture, FinTech, um, that kind of thing. So um, our, our and, and our office culture was very much like, you know, we'd, we'd done our tools every lunchtime and kind of like congregate at the, um, big beautiful wooden table that we had there and just really have conversations around um structures this was now in 2016 so this was just a year after Fismas 4 actually oh. yeah RMF and and and, and Fismas 4 um and so we were having a lot of those kinds of discussions and and for me it was really weird because I, I there was something in my spirit that was resonating with everything that was being said this challenging of of society and culture but there was again something that 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 grated against that because I'm like, well, hold on, but I don't share the same values as these people. So why am I agreeing? Right? I mean, that's what I thought in my mind. Like, no, these are people aren't Christian. So surely I can't be like um thinking about these things or or, or questioning like this. But I mean, for a year, my friends know I was so I was in such turmoil because I'm like, I don't I don't understand it. Like these people are having such great conversations and and I'm and and I'm, my eyes are being opened to the reality of the world around me, but 
this is not happening in the church. And, and I would imagine that this should happen in the church, but it's not. So if it's not happening in the church, is it right? Is it, should I even be, be questioning these things? Um, especially when they started coming for the church and saying, hey, actually the church has its own privilege and the church has its own kind of like history that it needs to check and all these things. And, and, and it was very uncomfortable for me. Um, but I think 2017, uh, just a year um, and a half after that, um, I, I, I um, was introduced to the Justice Conference and it was such a, a breath of fresh air because I was like wow actually it turns out I can actually um, mix or fuse these two worlds of faith and justice they, they don't exist um, in two opposite worlds as I as I had thought um, and so that was just such a, a watershed moment for me and and but it but it but it also then brought about uh, another kind of like um, contention being that oh wait hold on so I'm, I'm finding this here but you know now now where can I kind of like call home in terms of a church then the church institution um didn't really support that so then it also now became a thing of um you know finding finding a a a, a I don't know how to call it but basically just being finding yourself in a wilderness of sorts um in terms of um church and institution because again you know these things of um questioning aren't really allowed um in that setting um because now what you're doing is you're finding that the the theology that the church is built on can't actually speak to the real hard issues of the time, the issues that um, the Fields Must Fall and, and, and Rose Must Fall students were talking about, um, which was, um, you know, economic justice and, and, and racial justice and, 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 you know, gender and all those things. Like it, our theology, we couldn't really hold that and, and, and speak to that. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. then it became a question of, oh, then where do I find myself? And, and that's where I spoke earlier on about just about finding myself in a little bit of a wilderness, um, even in terms of my own faith, because, you know, I want to, I want to, you know, do what I used to do in terms of like shut the door and just me, God and I, um, and, and, and commune together. But at the same time, I feel then I have to kind of like leave my, um, my, my, my justice pursuit at the door when I do that. Um, and it's just, it was just a real um, hard journey of learning how those things can sit together and they, they can sit together. And actually I can't really, completely pursued justice without Jesus. Um, but there's also like, no, no, no Jesus without justice because, because actually he is a God of justice. Um, and Lucinda was so gracious um, in kind of like really helping me, yeah, just be, just learn to be comfortable with that. Even in, in my question, as, and as we were all questioning, right? As we were all kind of like contending with this thing. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, I feel like I've spoken too much but that's kind of like where, where I found myself. Um, in the last few years and, and where I think yeah this the, to answer your question oh sure. thank you Cecilia. That, that like <sighs> we've never actually had <laughs> talked about that and yeah. it's really it's really beautiful hearing your story in terms of that transition and that journey mm. into into the into this world into this intersecting world the sander Thank you for sharing that, Cecilia. I've listened to you guys talk forever. Mm -hmm. uh, honestly, so where do you want me to start, my friend? So you can um, you can talk about where where the intersection uh, for you on faith and justice came, mm. and then also you can talk about verses or a verse that guides you in the journey, or a, just any a biblical text that guides you, or a biblical text that broke you in terms of um this yeah. journey any yeah. i think i think friend for me i i have to be honest that like um the the real uh 
self-immersion and saying yes to Jesus um, in, in taking this journey with him, it be, it's very recent, you know? Um, but before that, I mean, um, I knew that something was shifting in me. I was in Durban and I remember feeling, um, let's call it boredom for now, but like feeling like, I feel like I've reached a ceiling. Like is the culmination of my Christian life continuing to stay on fire for God and continuing to go to Christian events? I was a worship leader also. And so um, like, an as, like an experientially rich journey with Jesus was just, it's, it's always been part of my life, right? And um, not that it was, I was just chasing the encounters, but I really wanted to know God, right? And I wanted to know the things that were on his heart, you know? And so as a worship leader, you, um, you, you're kind of like the custodian of, of everyone else's experiences, you know? <laughs> You kind of assume this role that it's your job to get them riled up or your job to get them into the throne room. And, 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 and some of it, mm, um, I don't know. Hey, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a big thing to put on someone's shoulders, but I think there's a beautiful invitation for us to fix our gaze and to allow, uh, and to, and to bring our attention to the thing that can help us hold both pain and um, enjoy hope and lament at the same time. And, but at that time, I think I wanted to just, I was like, is this all, is, it, is my job as a, as, a, as a child of God, especially as a worship leading child of God to keep increasing people's um, experiential what-what with God, right? Like, and I remember feeling like there has got to be more, there's got to be more than, than like, trying to not sin and there's got to be more than uh trying to watch out for the illuminati there's got to be more <laughs> like you know whatever the feeling was and i remember that there was this particular church and their holy spirit things were the in thing at that time and i remember feeling like there's got to be more than chasing the next christian thing right the next christian trend and then i remember um it that season also collided with me experiencing burnout and that burnout forced me to just uh well let me say god was gracious enough to take us out of ministry um and and change what we were doing our occupation so my husband went to study and i i just went to to oxford obviously uh, i took that time as my sabbatical and that time was really when everything just crumbled for me and I feel like it was actually in that time that God was starting to take me on a very long and awkward journey but just squeezing the mundanity out of me um, but really taking me through this space where I didn't know and uh, we landed in Durban um, and in Durban we started I, I feel like we started seeing things differently because we we came out of this of South Africa and we went to somewhere else where I felt like a complete other and then I was like, oh, something is shifting. Though people were nice, I felt I, I longed for home. And I asked different questions about home and all of that. And so when I got back into South Africa, uh, we left Durban and we came to Cape Town. And then these must fall happened. And it's not that student protests hadn't been happening. Um, in, in KwaZulu-Natal, there'd been, there'd been student protests every single year. They would literally, literally shut down the campus. And all of them were because of the fees, the incremental increases of the fees but the my theology couldn't carry the economic despair and the the economic protest 
or let me say the economic premise of the protest, right? The socioeconomic premise of the protest. My theology said that we have to restore peace. We have to obey the authorities. We shouldn't disturb order. We should mm, keep mm, mm. God and as children of God, our job is to make sure that people don't politicize the gospel. But there was this mm. other society on campus, SCO. They were literally like on fire for God and they were leading this campus politically, okay? So the, SR, the SRC president was also the SCO president, but because they were also a predominantly black um, society, I remember I was like, mm, okay, well, yeah, they, they, they're cool, but they're not like us. And I realized that, and I realize now that <laughs> my proximity, uh, I, I, I won't speak for everybody else. I will speak for me, right? I won't speak for Matlata. I won't speak for the rest of the team there, but I know I will speak for me. But I realized that in my uh, theological upbringing, I had associated proximity with white theologians, um, white seminaries, or, or like, let's say, white um, ministries as, as probable, uh, as, as, as better probability and better uh, viability, salvific viability, do you understand? So that... Um, because uh, black churches, they always tend to have compromise and they always tend to be syncretistic. So they're probably not a hundred percent okay. But if I see a white leader endorsing them, if it's like um, seventy percent black, but the actual founders are white, it's probably okay. And I didn't know that I thought that. I didn't know that I thought that um, until um, I stepped out of ministry and I and I had a chance to look back and be like wow Luce. wow right and um I and then all of a sudden it almost like God just took me back to those times when I would speak to these SEO students and um and then now I'm seeing when I go back I realize that wow the black uh, Christian tradition has always sat with this idea that God has to touch the lived reality of our communities. If this God doesn't speak about the poverty, but he speaks about this, this desire for affluence and this desire for blessing as a stamp of his approval, then this is not the God that has seen our parents through that, um, that, that, you know, the, 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 the tough times, you know, this is not, this is not real. And I realized that, wow, this, the, the, the black South African black tradition, especially, I think also, um, I mean, I, I grew up uh, Methodist, but I really realized that I always looked down on the black Methodist church because of my proximity with uh, white uh, charismatic churches and uh, all of my spiritual experiences, like my baptism of the Holy Spirit was in a white church and I never experienced that in the black church. And so I always had this undermining perception. So um, just to cut a long story short, I'll say that, um, ever since I, I ever since uh, fees must fall, uh, God has been so gracious to reveal my positionality and and some of the things I've had to heal from in terms of um, uh, the, just having ingested whiteness and really bringing me to just love the skin I'm in, but also to learn from um, from from. Uh, from other from other people that have been um, in a theological tradition that is uh, liberation oriented, and I've, I've, I mean I get challenged by Black liberation theologians locally, and uh, like Ooh, Cecilia was saying, I would find a lot of like even with books um, accessible books, um, uh, theologians. I would I would I, I know I find a lot of Latin American, but 
um, in the because of LUT, um, it's been so great feeling like actually God has not left us alone. There's so many incredible theologians that we can feed from and, um, and actually healing from having ingested white supremacy and especially from, from the theological academy. That's been, that's been my experience and God has been so gracious where now I, I feel like I've settled into whatever marginality I'm experiencing now because I feel like this is a place. This is not a no place. The wilderness is not a non-place. It is a place but it's not the center of empire and it's okay. Oh, wow, sisters. Yay. I feel like after every, sure. con- every like we need a moment to sit with everything that uh, everyone is saying, because I appreciate that this is coming from a deep and honest place. Mm-hmm. Lusanda, I'm thinking about, are there any particular texts that you, that yes. you would think of? In Amos, it's just two verses in Amos chapter five. You guys will probably know them off by heart because you're so cool. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. And remember, I was a worship leader, so I was about the noise, right? Um, guys, I remember mm-hmm. when I, I was so burnt out and so like, I was so happy clapped out mm. that I would see a guitar. I would shake and I, it would be like I do because I was exper- experiencing PTSD. I would cry yeah. for days. I would cry for days. Like, why would you, I would ask my husband, why would you do this? Why would you expect me to play? But my poor dad didn't know what was going on. So he's thinking, let me just bring anything to my wife that needs to make her happy. <laughs> <laughs> some worship. I'm like, don't play the worship. So, <laughs> You know, the things this church has done to us, eh? Bruh, like, so, literally. When God says in verse 23, he says, uh, in verse 22, I won't even notice all your choice offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the, har- the music of your harps. Instead, mm-hmm. you know, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of living. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's what it was for me. And I was like, I actually don't want to commit anymore to the bells and whistles. Um, I don't want to commit to, to, I don't want to commit to brands, man. I don't want to commit to branding. I don't want to commit to, to like, you know, this, we're a cluster, this is what we're doing. This is what we're pursuing. I, I, I get, I like, I feel like what I've experienced with the community now of people that God has brought around me, like yourselves, Tandi, Ayanda, mm. Carol, Selena, all these amazing women, Craig, the warehouse community, mm. Brett. Um, is it feels like there's something living mm-hmm. and it's it's not at the center yes but it it's become my core and Jesus has been so kind and um and and so the crutch of of of, ex, of all of the other stuff is is just fading away slowly mm-hmm. sure um Lysander, when you just uh talked about um that invested whiteness um I just realized also with me, like you really don't realize how like, ingrained this thing is, you know, in that like, it's about the language of the songs you sing. It's about the accent that you used to hear in the gospel preached in, right? So, you know, <laughs> if if someone you know comes and, and, and preaches, you know, um, uh, the gospel and doesn't quite fit that typically, you know, white um, European accent or, or, or just description, it's like, mm, you start questioning, is this the real thing? Um, can you trust what this person has to say? Um, so you find that, you know, 
even once you've kind of reached that place of like, okay, fine, I can, I can comfortably, you know, fit, you know, justice and faith together, then you find that there's this other thing you have to contend with. Um, and it's, and it's, you know, the, the, the kind of like form that the gospel um, was presented to us in. And, um, and is it, and, and almost like having to like strip away all those layers and, and, and deconstruct um, and find how you can then authentically um, worship God, you know, in your own context, in your own language. Um, and that thing, um, the center that you also mentioned about really also allowing the wonder of the spirit to really just lead you, you know, because we're taught in the way that we're taught in these churches, it's almost like there's one particular way to worship, there's one particular way to the throne and we're used to these formulas and, and methods. Um, and that completely strips it of the wonder of the spirit to really just to be like, Lord, here I am. And, 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 and um, let's go on this journey together and show me what that could look like. Um, so I tried to, I tried to do that a few weeks back and just be like, sure, like help me to just to recapture wonder. Like, what does that even look like <laughs> to just be like, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and, and, and worship um, and just in, in the wonder of, of the spirit and allowing that to, to lead me and to guide me um, and, and just strip away all those um, methods and, and methodological ways of, of doing or of worship or of this, this and that, um, that uh, I think that pastor scripture mentions as well. So sure, yeah, there's a lot to, to contend with, a lot of wrestling to do. Uh, it doesn't seem to ever stop. Msingi is a Swahili word meaning foundation. Our name and mandate comes from Psalms 89.14. We host engaging conversations on faith, social justice, and advocacy across all our social media platforms. We also offer training and consultancy services to help you navigate the world of social justice and faith. To engage with us, visit our website www.msingitrust.org, follow us on all our social media handles at msingitrust, or email us on info at msingitrust.org okay listen to you girls um i'm so grateful so so very grateful for communities communities that hold us and uh communities that and if there's uh an institution or you'll hear us speak so fondly of it's the warehouse and the warehouse is in cape town and they're doing Msingi, I always say Msingi, uh, the warehouse is Msingi's when we grow up because the kind of um, incubating for justice that's happening there and uh, bring, it's a safe space to help us uh, grow and, uh, and unlearn, relearn together in community. And I'm grateful for that. So um, maybe we've we've been saying a few a few things. We we said RMF, we said fees must fall, we said a few things. I don't know who's able to maybe give like a brief brief intro into what uh, fees must fall was, uh, roads must fall. Maybe just one person can share what that was, and then we can all. And- yeah, Tandy. <laughs> Tandy. Yeah, I was about to say Tandy. You and Rhodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, Rhodes. Wow. 
This thing that just will not die. Sure, got the spirit. Yeah, it's no, a stronghold. Wow. Who who is Rhodes? What is Rhodes? What's the Rhodes Must Fall movement? And like this for someone who's never heard of Rhodes Must Fall. Like yeah. in, a, in a second, looking in a minute. Okay, so I mean. Yeah, so so Cecil John Rhodes was like a major um, colonizer and um, enslaver of peoples and thiever of land um, in in southern Africa. Um, Zimbabwe, what's now called Zimbabwe, was once called Rhodesia. After him, he, um, yeah. Owned, owned a lot of land. I mean, ownership is very questionable here, but um, anyway, so, so has, was a significant um, presence in South Africa's colonial history, um, as well as that of other African countries. And, and still in South Africa, there's many things named after him. Um, there's a, a university called Rhodes. Um, there's many statues of him around Cape Town, around the rest of the country. Um, mm. So it's it's almost like that history is celebrated, this colonial history, which resulted in the subjugation and oppression um, of African people and resulted in the situation of inequality um, that we have today and landlessness that we have today. It's a history that's um, celebrated in front of us. Um, and so there, there was a statue of Rhodes at the University of Cape Town. So the movement began with, um, I think, a, a student threw um, theses at the statue. And that was, that was kind of a, a spark which ignited a lot of stuff. And then, then there was a whole, um, so then there was a movement that the statue should, should fall and should be removed. But I mean, that was kind of the, that was a kind of fueler of this thing, but there was much bigger conversations going on about what decolonization of the university looked like, um, what, what the role of the university was in society, um, that it was kind of a reproducer of this kind of um, oppression and eliteness and just all of these ideas, there was all kinds of things as well with, um, workers being treated badly and the whole um, thing of around ending outsourcing of workers. So it was, it was quite multidimensional um, and then, then became fees must fall and the focus was on um, the fees going up. I mean, I think in all of this, there was quite a, it was a broad focus, um, but these were kind of key points, I guess. So it ended up being a big, kind of nationwide student movement and got a lot of attention and kind of brought these conversations about decolonization um, to the surface in many different spaces, um, including the church. So yeah, really interesting time, I think, which has sparked, sparked a lot um, then and, and I think in the years after. Does that answer the question? It answers very beautifully. And uh, I think uh, Cecile and Lusanda, you yeah. talked about, about Fees Must Fall and 
roads must fall and how that was also quite integral in your form would you call it formation or reformation <laughs> but i'd like to hear from tandy and you guys can add if there's something you needed to add on that conversation mm -hmm. but tandy how how did this form deform reform your faith uh, and mm -hmm. and and the form of this as uh, as tandy you've said was in terms of nationwide protests in south africa and uh, so what did that do for you yeah so i think it it did many things at the time and has done many things um in since um interestingly i wasn't in south africa for when all these things were happening so i was kind of watching from a distance um <laughs> and that whole thing was interesting in itself because i was at um bethel in california at the yeah. time so the bethel church, the bethel bethel church yes i don't know if we've talked about this part of my past life <laughs> no no we haven't i i even subtweeted them i didn't think wow we are you we are ready to risk it all <laughs> but anyway so it's it's so interesting i think lusando what you said about being in a different space and and the different perspective that that kind of gives you i think the time there was really interesting for me in um thinking about my blackness and i think i think so being on that journey there because it, it was a very um, white space that I was in, but there was a number of black people who were very, very intentional about like making time together and reflecting together on blackness and race and, and what that meant in that space. Um, wow. Yeah, so that was, that was really cool. And then, and then watching what was happening with um, Roads Must Fall and Seas Must Fall from afar, because my siblings were very involved um, in all of it and so I was kind of seeing I was seeing things I guess from that perspective and um, so I felt like I was there even though I was extremely far away and I think I think for me seeing the responses of people was almost the thing that like fueled my journey even more because because I think roads must fall and fees must fall um, allowed for an articulation, like a, an articulation in the public sphere of things that I had felt my whole life, um, but maybe hadn't had the words to articulate. So it felt like things were like ringing, ringing true and, and, um, yeah, somehow these things were being spoken that I that I had not necessarily ever been able to articulate before. And then seeing the pushback of people in churches, particularly, but um, I mean, white people in general, in general, a lot of white people were very anti these protests and just couldn't understand what was going on. Um, so, yeah, I think it was it was quite a um, key point in my journey because of that realizing how deep white supremacy ran in 
in South Africa, I mean globally, um, and realizing that it ran so deeply within the church as well, and mm. within this faith that is supposed to um, be bringing the kingdom to earth, and all that that comes with, peace and justice and goodness, um, and yet this, this really awful stuff was present in the church. So I think that that forced me to really wrestle a lot with my faith. <clears throat> and I've always questioned stuff a lot. I've always questioned my faith and <clears throat> I've always made quest made space for questioning. Um, so I think this this just kind of brought a new um, element of that and and brought me into a deeper space of questioning and wrestling. And it was it was like an urgency to find a theology that that made this reality make make sense. Um, mm. yeah. yeah, so I think I think it 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 made that thing so urgent. So um, it like pushed me and propelled me into this journey in in a much deeper way. Um, mm. Yeah, I I think we. As I listen to you, Tandy, I, I recall the quote uh, uh, by Martin Luther King Jr. who says, uh, protest is the language of the unheard. Mm. And um, I'm thinking yeah. that one, there's, um, systematic, um, there's the systematic racism and inequalities that we see from uh, the white colonizers, the neo-colonizers, and also the, the, the people who are black but are continuing with the legacy of colonization. Mm. But um, I also see how that some of these statues and some of the, of the names of our institutions is colonization still speaking and it speaks loudly yeah. and so renaming uh um renaming uh toppling down all of that is a reclaiming of the voice of the land it's mm -hmm. the land rejecting the name and it's the land rejecting this um domination it's the people rejecting the domination. And I, I can't wait for Africa to be renamed. I can't wait for, we have lakes in Kenya still called Lake Victoria. We need to call the Lake Namlolwe. We can't have falls uh, still named after some Thompson. Who, who is Thompson? I was about to say to say a bad word, yeah. <laughs> who is Thompson? We can have lakes on Mount uh, Kenya, a holy mountain for many uh, for communities that live around that mm -hmm. community. We can't have names of of invaders mm -hmm. naming uh, being named after our our natural resources. And so I feel, yeah, riots are the, is the language of the unheard, and maybe our mm. our land is is crying out and saying, "Please name me back, return my names. I am not yeah. Victoria, I mm. am not Rhodes, I am not mm. all of these things." Yeah. 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 
Mm. And Duta, um, a friend of mine, Eshka, just recently told me that the real name uh, of uh, Table Mountain, uh, the name that the Koi had given us, given it is Hurikwaho. It's Kurikwaho, which is mountain in the sea. Isn't that beautiful? Mm. Right? Mm. It's so beautiful. And these names had had meaning because, like, do you imagine Table Mountain, a mountain that looks like a table versus <laughs> <laughs> like there's such drastic and there's there's holiness around the names, man, and there's story around names. And in fact, one of the things that really um, moved my heart was that uh, she actually told me, and I didn't know that Lisbic River, the San, the Koi, sorry, the Koi um, elders um, are trying to have been trying to claim it back as sacred as a sacred site. And I realized that my relationship to that river is the word that I see on a street sign. But unless I'd leaned into um, her story as an indigenous, as a woman with with uh, with indigenous um, ancestry and roots, I would have never known that, and so I would have this disconnected relationship with place. And maybe if I can jump in here, that like for me, I realized that um, there is something that 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 moment in 2015 and 2016 did for me that showed me that um, that. Uh, const- Consumer, a consumerist world, um, and even African modernity, and um, and this two-dimensional Western thinking, is this big um, machine that wants to uh, create development so that they can be more extracting and extracting and extracting from the earth. So it almost wants to see creation and people. Uh, it doesn't look them in the eye. It wants to look just about their heads and enough to kind of scan and estimate their quantities so they can know how much to take and take and take. And um, I remember when I when I read, uh, what was it, um, who was it? Uh, oh yeah, it was, it was for my study guide when I, when I was doing African philosophy where the lecturer was asking, um, we have to talk about the naming of places and especially the naming of Africa, that who, that name Africa, who, who came with it? And, and she was talking about how that name, um, the speculation, but this one particular speculation was that uh, the name Afrique is it, it's relating to the sun and to the geography, so the place of the sun. And so as an outsider, you, you name it according to your experience, not according to the people there, right? And there was also other speculation that it was the, the Roman, the Roman um, kind of, officer who was in charge of the region, right? Uh, Africanus and all of that. And I realized that what had happened is that I hadn't seen how my own view of the story of this whole space, this whole, like the country and also university who has access and who doesn't, it's been so disconnected from how I believe I'm also being called to participate, to live and work for for liberation that isn't just privatized, like Osisikla was saying, but liberation that is that is accessible to all, right? Because imagine God wanting to make all of creation a hospitable space and our cities a hospitable place where people can thrive, right? And um, and so it really sh- it really shook me more than I expected because normally those protests would just make me uncomfortable because it would just mean that there's less attendance for our services, and and the and the students are a little bit 
angry and I don't know how I'm going to pray for them because I can't give them the money they want. And so it was like, you know what I mean? Like you had no pastoral range at all. And so I, I kind of like always, I hated the beginning of the year. I'm like, oh, they're going to protest again. And so you write these SMSs, guys, just remember, okay, um, we can pray for those who are protesting, but we don't, we shouldn't do it though. Wow. <laughs> but stepping outside of that. Um, and I, I remember on the last the last three years of being in Durban, um, there was a major shift. It actually started with Mahladze, mm-hmm. where um, he leaned in, you know, and he started, and I saw him going to support the students. And I'm like, what is he doing now? So he, just getting in there and supporting <laughs> the students, um, trying to rally up food for the people that are out there protesting, um, trying to negotiate. I remember the SRC president at some point, um, they had arrested him. And, um, and he was there and I was pastorally present and I did not know what to do with that. But I, I realized how disconnected my faith was from the story of place when I watched it and I was in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was such a gift for me because um, remember I was coming back from being an outsider in Oxford and I was re-entering the place. Um, I was re-entering Cape Town in particular and I and it had shown me a little bit of flames because we were looking for a place to stay. And it doesn't matter what English you talk, it doesn't matter what tables you'd sat on before. Mm. If yeah. you're a black and the landlord doesn't want you, they don't want you. Yeah. And and I and I and we were seeing those flames and and that sense of unplugging from the matrix just helped me to look a little bit deeper into the whole thing. Because mm. now I, I was not protected by anything. And and I think what what roads what roads what roads must fall and what fees must fall did for me was um re- was see that actually this is what has been bug had been bugging us uh, around the models of campus students discipleship where we would keep seeing that when students leave campus they they don't know they just they they don't know how to cope with the reality of living in a racialized South Africa where no matter how much you quote the Psalms, you know, if somebody wants to close a door for you because they're uncomfortable around you and, and you know, they don't want to make room for you because you've, you've just got the wrong skin color and they don't want you to, your, your child to be in their school because they're the wrong skin color. I mean, it, it was, you know what I mean? It, it was just such a, uh, yeah. And, and, and I think it was so important for us um, to lean in into that conversation and, um, and God, it's almost like he used it to just break the whole thing and to bring things together again, because we realized that this is why um, the kind of happy, clappy kind of student faith thing, it doesn't make it in the real world because it's not connecting. It's not connecting the pieces. You know what I mean? It's not telling us what happened here and where it's happened in the text before. And, and how God, um, you know, the fact that the Bible was actually written from a slave community is not something you'd commonly hear on a pulpit. It's like the way that the Bible is read, or I, I'd, I'd read it too. It yeah. was from privilege, right? And yeah. I was prior to privilege. And, um, and so Rose Must Fall literally was one of those unveiling moments um, that God used as well as many others before, but I think the most memorable one, one of the most memorable ones, I'd say LUT and other ones are as well. 
Yeah. Lucinda, I'd like you, because um, I, we, when we did them singly talks, uh, them singly live uh, conversation, we shared about um, a song that, uh, you know the song? The Freedom Struggle song? Yeah. Are you, could you uh, please talk about how that, would you call it, it's not, I don't want to say translation. I'm trying to look for the English for <laughs> what you did with that song. It's oh my word, is that the ha, ha, Oh my gosh, that, that is a jam of a lifetime. <laughs> I don't want to talk too long about it, but what's amazing about that song, my friend, is that when when things were starting to shift for us in Durban, mm-hmm. uh, it happened around the idea of writing our own songs because we started realizing that we keep on transporting these anthems from the global north and um, as if they're going to shift and change atmospheres for here. And obviously that, that interpretation really was more like um, in terms of speech you know, principalities and, you know, the African angels or the African angels here, Australian songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> she went there, she went there. Yeah. But, it, but no, honestly, we, we actually were thinking how, how does, there was something particular that God is doing in a particular region, whether or not they were presumptuous in saying it has to be globalized, um, that's another conversation, but this particular conversation has to do with who who has who how, how have we not bought into the prophetic um, power of our own sound, right? And I remember I will credit Rob Harris from Sounds of the Nations. Tandy, do you remember Uncle Rob? Uh, I don't think so. He was a big burly African American guy, man. He came and he was. And he taught us about songwriting and um, the power of sound and all of that. And that's when things were seriously shifting for me because I was like, actually, why do we take all these songs and we just sing them as if God is, is plugging and playing? But um, there's a particular anointing that belongs to particular sounds in particular places because God wants to also show himself through those knowledge systems, through the actual vocalizations of particular places, right? And um, this idea that like, it's all got a sound, like it's from Atlanta, it's just not okay. So when we sang that song, it was actually during that protest season on campus, the first time we sang it, uh, when when Nanduta in Durban, it was actually during protest season. And the thing about UDW, if you ask anyone, UDW is the hub of of ANC uh, political, What's UDW? Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. The University of Durban Western. Mm-hmm. That 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 place is like the stronghold. It's the power. It's a power hub of like student politics, um, in especially in in the in KZN, and so something just broke in the atmosphere the first time we sang that song in church. And the thing about Asoka Theater, which is where we congregated on Sundays, is that the floor, it was, it was an old theater, right? It was a dump. And so that's why they let us use it. They were not willing to invest anything in fixing it. 
and Masati and uh, and our pastor at that time Wayne uh, just fixed it up as much as they could and, and the kids would just fill up that place. And when we danced, man, kids would come right down on the theater and I could swear that floor is gonna, it was gonna break. But when you hear like a room of black students who had been protesting and felt like they had to do that out there and they danced there, we honestly thought that that floor was gonna break. There was a little bit of a of a of a vong in the floor, but it never did. Um, <laughs> yeah, that and anyway, but that was the that was that song. Sure, I can only uh, imagine because I mean, when you sang that at the justice conference, um, which was like what twenty eighteen, that um, yeah. something also struck there. Yeah, we knew yeah. Yeah, oh, I, I can still recall that moment at the Justice Conference when that song was sung and I don't understand it. I don't understand, okay, I understand like 20% of it, but I- Joina, Joina. <laughs> yes, I was, I was all up with the fist in the air. And I, I remember telling mm. um, Lusanda that that was the first time I raised the power fist in worship and it felt yeah. right because I mm. how does worship and justice come together it is when we wow. sing songs of liberation and boy wow. right now I sing all worship songs with my fist raised up because worship is meant to liberate us it's meant to liberate us uh, spiritually economically politically and socially and it the songs we are singing are not liberating us full circle, then those songs are the songs that uh, Amos is saying, we do not mm. want your songs. Yeah. So thank you, Lysander. Catalyze that rage. Yeah. Justice. Yeah. You know. If you've been inspired, challenged, and or enjoyed this conversation, and would like to contribute to this and catch up with more of such, remember to follow us on social media at Msingi Trust, share this podcast with your friends and family, and also consider making a donation to support the production of this podcast. Donations can be made through PayPal, msingikenya at gmail.com, Patreon at Msingi Kenya, or through M-Pesa, plus 254-792-176-030. Kwaherini and thank you for joining us.